Coming to you from the entertainment capital of the world, Las Vegas, I'm Christopher Calloway, and this is Creator Talks. My guest today is Evan Doc Shaner. You've seen Evan's comic art in such books as Future Quest, The Terrifics, Adventures of Superman, and much more. Well, he has a project in the works coming out on March 4th, Strange Adventures, written by Tom King, with art by Mitz Gerads and Evan himself. It's a 12-part series, through DC Comics, of course. We are going to talk about the series, how Doc works along with Mitch creating the art for the book. Now, Doc is doing the colors on the book as well, and we talk about having another colorist do his work and what his feelings are about that and why he prefers to do both the line art and its accompanying colors. We also talk about how he got nicknamed Doc, what that's based upon, and how it is still tied to art. By the way, Evan is also a trumpet player. I've had a few trumpet players on the show over the past few months. There seems to be a trend starting here. If you like this interview after you've listened to it, please rate and review on iTunes. It is the best way to help the show and build the audience so they can hear more interviews like this one. Also, word of mouth is very important for spreading the word about the show, so tell a friend. And please subscribe so you don't miss a single one because I have a very special one coming up for the 200th episode. Details to follow this interview, so stay tuned, please. And now let us join my guest, Evan Doc Shaner, artist, colorist, part of the team on Strange Adventures, here now on Creator Talks. Evan, welcome to Creator Talks. Hi, glad to be here. Well, the kids are all playing in the yard now. They're having a good time, leaving us alone so we can chat. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I had to start there. We both have three and eight-year-old boys. Well, I one of mine is a girl, but yes. Ah, that's a different dynamic. So, how's it going? Because I'll tell you what, man, this is a rough age with the two of them together like this. The age gap is strange. I don't have any other age gap like that in my life. So the five-year age gap. Brother, sister's a little different than brothers. They <laughs> they got home right before our conversation, and I could just hear the whining starting. And I've promoted my missus to executive producer, no longer executive co-producer, because she does so much to keep things under control <laughs> when I interview people. She's like, dinner is the worst time of the day. I said, I know that it is. You know, I don't know if you see this happen separately. The kids are cool. They're fine. But when they get together, there's an attention battle. And that's when the sparks start to fly. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so bizarre. That's the burden that we bear and the task that we have set before us. But tonight, we're going to talk about your work and strange adventures coming up. You know, funny thing is, I went to the dollar bin this weekend, just kind of poking around. And I randomly pulled out a copy of a book because I recognized a creator on the book. And it was called Strange Adventures. There's a Vertigo title way back, like in 2000, by that name. Were you following that at the time? I'm aware of it. Uh, I have not read it, but I, I know what you're talking about, yeah. On there is Brian Azzarello and Nessad Ribbit. Yeah. <laughs> I was <Right>. like, wow. <laughs> Holy crap. <laughs> yeah. Now, your nickname is Doc. Do you prefer to go by Doc or Evan? You know, I usually tell people to call me Doc. It's all about how comfortable you are with it. I know some folks who just can't get down with it, and that's okay by me. I don't expect anyone to call me that. That's just what I'm more comfortable with, yeah. 
Now, this goes back to when you studied jazz trumpet, and that's what they called you as Doc. Yep, it was uh, it was something I picked up in school. And now, does that go back to, now, I'm dating myself here, Doc Severson, the band leader for Johnny Carson? In only the most oblique way. Of course, I know Doc Severson, and I'm a fan of his. It was mostly just a name, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Well, that's a good one. I take it. People name me that, I go with it. (laughs) (laughs) Now, you learn to draw and do storytelling, which I found fascinating through comic strips, not how a lot of people do it through comics who are into comics, and not even the superhero stuff, what we call the funny pages, and two of your influences that I really admire and I read growing up, Peanuts, Calvin and Hobbes. Now, what first drew you to them, and when did you first pick up a copy and say, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen? I mean, we got the newspaper uh, when I was a kid, and uh, that's how I found Calvin and Hobbes. Peanuts was my dad collected peanuts when he was a kid, the uh, Dell paperbacks, and he kept all of them and gave them to me when I was between six and seven, and I ate them up. I I loved every single one of them. That's how I got into the late 50s to early 70s era of peanuts and just fell in love with it. Uh, My parents gave me a book, and it was a paperback of peanuts. I think it was called... For the Love of Peanuts, had a green cover, had Charlie Brown and Snoopy on the cover. And Mm -hmm. Snoopy had a very rounded face at that point. It was very different than the art that came out later in the cartoon. So these must have been reprints from, I don't know, 50s, early 60s. But I love reading that. I can see why that would appeal to you. It appealed to me. And I still have the book somewhere in my massive collection of books here. And Calvin and Hobbes, I mean, that's a classic. He was just doing so much at the time with the medium, even as a kid, that idea of using the space to the best of your ability was just mind-blowing for me. Now, do you still look at the cartoons? Yeah, I get the Sunday paper. Here, they only offer the Sunday and Thursday uh, editions. My oldest and I tend to look through it on Sunday morning. The stuff that's running now, what do you like the most? Weirdly, the very first thing we go to now is Prince Valiant, which, when I was a kid, didn't really interest me. Uh, None of the more dramatic strips interested me at all uh, when I was a kid, but now, with Schultz and Yeats, um, Prince Valiant, it's a go-to for me. Now, later on, you became a fan of Mike Moringo, Joe Kubert, and the great Al Williamson. They're all great. What am I saying? Which of their work did you pick up first? I think it must be Kubert, um, but it was very close to finding Moringo. That would have been late in high school. Yeah, just before college, because I, I very briefly considered applying to the Kubert school. What changed your mind? Uh, I chickened out. I wasn't dead certain that I was going to do comics. And going to Kubert focuses you on one thing. And I wasn't completely certain that that's what I wanted to do. So I, I chickened out at the last minute. I see. I would have said, oh, tuition. I can't afford tuition. But I've talked to a lot of people, <laughs> <laughs> I've talked to people who went to the school, and it, it was a crucible. It was a very difficult time there because they really put on the pressure. They want to make it as real as possible with the deadlines and the assignments. So, yeah. Now, let's discuss some of your contemporaries. Think about this as actor Studio. Okay. I know it's not quite that, but just humor me. And I'm going to throw out some names. Tell me what you think about them and their work. Hopefully, it's all good. If it's not, no one's going to hear it. <laughs> but I know some of these individuals you must enjoy working with very much. Mitch Gerard, for example. Uh, he's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've known Mitch just about as long as anybody in this career and uh, one of my oldest friends and obviously a very capable and innovative artist. I'm glad to call him friends. One of the most positive people I know. 
I, I'm always surprised by his positivity in most, if not all, things. Now, I won't put you on the spot with other names. So I have a whole list here, but I'm not going to do that. But <laughs> if you would <laughs> – well, I have names of people whose style – falls in the same universe as yours. You know, the very clean line, saying a lot with not a great deal of embellishment or realism, Neil Adams and that kind of thing. It's a different way of approaching the art. But are there okay. people now that are out there that uh, you say, hey, I really like their work and I think more people should read it? I, you know, one of the things about working today or even being a reader today is thanks to the internet and just being able to see anything is that there's so much good work out there right now. I could sit here all night listing people off. There's definitely a handful of people whose work I buy sight unseen. Mm -hmm. If I know they have something coming, I make sure that I'm going to get a copy. Um, and some of them are friends, but you know, a lot of them, it was as fans before I, I'd known them. Uh, Joe Canonis is a friend and the guy whose work I adore. He's been working on Dial H for Hero for DC for the last year or so. And that's an amazing series. Thanks to everyone working on the book, but I'm particularly a big fan of Joe's. I get everything by Stuart Immonen and Daniel Acuna. And you mentioned uh, Isad. I, I'm a big fan of uh, Isad Rivik. I'm blanking at the moment, but uh, you know, there's, there's I know there's few... so many, and you don't really leave anyone out. <laughs> exactly <laughs> right. Well, you know, I will agree with you that there is so much out there right now, and it is so fun to discover something new. Like, for example, just going through some of the digital comics, there's free digital comicology comics. I enjoy going through because sometimes I'll discover someone that I'd never seen before, and I really like their art. Or just even going through some of the dollar bins. There might be recent stuff there. It gives me a chance to try somebody's work out. And even some of the dollar comics nowadays uh, that they sell, the new ones, the, the teasers to get people interested in the mm -hmm. series are a lot of fun and it's just we're just spoiled now there's so much out there oh, yeah <laughs> right yeah now you describe yourself as an illustrator and colorist do you prefer to do both when you're working on a project do you have like greater control that way of the finished product the way you want to see it or sometimes you know you're like hey that's fine that's someone else color it. you hit it on the head um i have a little more control over the work now that i'm also doing my own color work. For a long time, I didn't color myself just because of the workload involved. I thought, you know, it would free me up to kind of uh, work on the lines, focus on that, get it done, and move on. And I liked the idea of being able to collaborate a little more, too. And funny enough, at the time, I remember I was talking to Mitch about this, and he said, you're going to regret it. You're going to wish you were still doing your colors. And uh, loathe as I am to admit it, he was right. Because now that we're working on Strange Adventures, I'm having such a good time doing my own colors again and being able to control the art from the get-go. I think I'd gotten into a place where I was not doing the lines in a way that I really wanted to because I felt like I had to gear it toward the next step in production that I didn't have control over. And the end, the end result was something that I was not, I, I didn't feel communicated what I was trying to get at. And that's been, so far, the best part of working on Strange Adventures is I feel like I'm really establishing my own voice in the book, and the end result on the page is what I really wanted to see from the beginning. Color can make or break a book, as I've often said, and mm -hmm. there are great colorists out there, and there are people that work together very well, but it's got to be heartbreaking to see work come out not the way you had it in your head and completely different, not the way you want it to go. I never mention any names, but there are some books I look at them and I see the preview art, black and white. I'm like, wow, this looks great. And then the color gets in there and something gets crushed out or too much detail gets sure. added that wasn't meant to be there just to kind of say, hey, I can do this with my coloring. And it's a shame. 
Absolutely. Yeah, it can go both ways. Absolutely. And I should mention, during that stretch where I wasn't coloring my own work, I did have the opportunity to work with some of the best colorists working right now, like Jordi Belair and Matt Wilson and Nathan Fairbairn. All good friends and all amazing colorists. This was in no way a negative on them. I thought they all did great work when I worked with them, too. It was more so on my side. I really felt like the stuff I was giving them was not really me. How would you describe yourself as an artist if you were to say, this is my unique value proposition? What distinguishes you from other artists? I put a lot of value in telling a story with personality. Whether or not I always achieve that or not, you know, is up for debate. But I know it's something that I focus on. It's something that I feel a lot of creative value in is trying to bring those characters to life in a way that's enjoyable to read, as well as, you know, tell a story in an effective way. But for me, I, I love the little bits of acting I get to do with a character uh, and just finding what makes a character unique. Stepping back and looking at your work, how do you see that manifesting itself? Is it through what I see sometimes is just very simple little facial expressions that really bring the characters to life? I mean, that's the stuff I really get jazzed on doing. Even when I'm watching a movie or something on TV, not that I'm always in work mode, but some of my favorite things from movies and TV and whatever else is little moments, little subtleties that really make an indelible mark on what's being presented. That's what I get the most fun out of uh, working in my own set. Do you have any examples of things you've seen? Like, for example, just to give you one, like watching a movie, like an old black and white movie, sometimes the way the shadow of the figures play on the wall larger than the actual figure in the room is pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. Are there things like that that you're picking up or maybe like the color that they use for the setting of the room? Like color-wise, I do watch a lot of animation and I'm fascinated by the color composition folks who work on movies and how they set a palette and everything. Uh, particularly since I started coloring my own work again. I've loved kind of delving into that stuff. You know, with movies and actors, I like in performance little subtle touches. I'm definitely drawn to character actors and those kind of actors that, that can bring something uh, unique to them. Now, I've read some of your work, Flash Gordon King's Watch, back when you were doing stuff for Dynamite. Now you're DC exclusive. Do you find being an exclusive artist is more limiting for you? Or does that make you feel a little more relaxed, knowing <laughs> that there's work coming? <laughs> and remember, DC may be listening, so... <laughs> 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 right. I just re-signed with them this last month uh, for another two years. I wouldn't be worried if they weren't listening. I've had a great relationship with DC the last four years. They've been amazing to work with. They do very well by me. I, I've had a blast working there, certainly. The opportunities that I've had in the, my time there. I do now and then, I wouldn't say it's limiting, but every now and then I do get that itch to do something creator-owned. And I think that's going to come up more in the next few years. But at the moment, kind of speaking to what you were saying, my, my wife and I have talked about it a lot. And right now, being exclusive with DC is right for us. I really like being there. Well, it's good to have that sense of stability, especially with the kids. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I, yeah. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> but also, you've had a chance to work on a lot of characters that have been the dream assignments for you, like Plastic Man, Captain mm -hmm. Marvel, Shazam, and Superman. Now that you're there, you like Westerns. You've wanted to work on Westerns. Maybe. Yep. Who knows? Jonah Hex? I tell uh, Jimmy Palmiotti every chance I get how much I loved his Jonah Hex and how much that's a character I really want to work on. Any of those Western characters, there's really a nice little stable of Western characters there that I really enjoy. 
Uh, but definitely, Jonah's the one most likely to. <laughs> I would love to see that. Do you think with your current situation being exclusive artist, maybe you could work on a crossover type event between two publishers, maybe DC and someone else? You think maybe they'd be open to that? Or you don't have to discuss the terms of your contract, but I didn't know <laughs> if there would be allowances for things like that. Let's say something that teams up a DC character with Zorro, like Jonah Hex and Zorro or something like that. That would be a dream gig, for sure. Zorro is absolutely one of my bucket list characters. I'm just throwing things out here trying to make them happen. That's what I'm trying to do. <laughs> <laughs> right. Tell me what, about Zorro and your love for Zorro. I've been a fan of Zorro since I was a kid. Uh, I, I always loved the old Disney stuff. And the couple of Antonio Banderas movies are favorites. And the Toast books, certainly, are, are a big favorite of mine. I just like the character. I like the look of him. He's fun. Something like a Jonah Hex Zorro. That'd be incredible. Call Jimmy and just see <laughs> see what you guys can work out. Love to see that. Right. <laughs> now, your current book coming up, Strange Adventures. You've been working away on that. I've seen the art posted. There's a guy writing at Tom King. I think people may have heard of him. Other artists, Mr. Ads. And you're going to be working back and forth on the covers, both concurrently for a given issue. The tagline for this is explore the gap between myth and reality. And when I read that, strangely enough, I didn't think about comics or even Adam Strange, I thought about the Beatles and how John always talked about, oh, the myth of the Beatles, you know, people don't understand. And I was like, what's he talking about? And then after I learned more about them over the years, I was like, oh, I see. There is this public image, and then there's what really happens in the background, and there's a lot of pressure on someone to live up to that public image, to meet all the obligations, the demands. And I think we're going to see some of that from what I've seen in Strange Adventures. Yeah, I think that's actually a really great comparison to what we are doing with the book. Uh, it's a lot about that. You know, Adam comes back to Earth after this long stint in space, writes a book about his time out there called Strange Adventures, which is why we picked this name for the book. From issue one on, it, a lot of the book is about what Adam experienced out there in space, but also how much of it is true. And what true means to Adam and what true means to other people that were involved uh, in his time out there and how those two can be different. And kind of like you were saying, how one's own perspective affects what the truth is. So this is going to be a 12-part series. So I guess over the course of the series, things will be revealed. So we're going to be learning things as we go along. We're not going to be in the know uh, as a reader throughout the whole story. And there will be a, a back and forth between different time periods between Mitch is doing and what you're doing? Yes. I think early on it was the easy way to tell people, or, you know, I think a lot of people just assumed that Mitch was going to be doing everything on Earth. I would be doing everything on RAN. And I think we've since, you know, realized that that's, it's not that simple. I, I can't just say that everything I'm doing is in space. But it, I think that the, probably the easiest way to describe it is that I'm doing everything before Adam comes back to Earth. And then just doing everything after. Okay. So we'll see some change in the individual reflected in the art or reflected through the art. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anything we should watch for, keep our eyes open for. I think Tom has a great take on Mr. Terrific that I hadn't seen before. I, you know, I worked on Mr. Terrific for, I think it only ended up being two issues, but the Terrifics ended up taking a good chunk of my, <laughs> my time mm -hmm. a couple of years ago. So I had a lot of time spent with Mr. Terrific. And even after that, Tom came up with a great take on him that I think he and Mitch are knocking out of the park. Well, that's what he does. <laughs> he comes up with yeah, a new take yeah, on things. Yep. We've seen that with uh, The Vision and yep. uh, Mr. Miracle. 
Did I say that yeah. right? Yes, I don't want to say Miracle Man. <laughs> I, they, people get that confused sometimes. I can understand why. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So you guys are all going to be at C2E2 this year, Tom mm-hmm. and Mitch and yourself. Have you been there before to C2E2? Uh, no. I've been to Chicago plenty of times because I live close enough. But I've never actually been to C2E2, no. This will be my first. I've never had the pleasure. Well, I've either been on one side of the country or the other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just the same right. distance either way. I'm not any closer than I was before. Someday I should because I know it's a very big kind. It's one of the first ones that kicks off the year. I hope that's a good experience. You guys have a good time. Probably going to get a lot of attention with this book coming up, and it starts on March 4th. How far along are you right now? Uh, we're into the fourth issue right now. Is that a good pace for you? You feel like comfortable? You're not uh, working, you know, 18 hours a day. You're getting enough rest. You know, I want you to take care of yourself now. Don't <laughs> <laughs> I don't want you to wear yourself down. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's been great for us. We actually started much earlier, but then, you know, just kind of talking and developing the ideas for the book. And then, uh, you know, I'd be busy doing a fill in here or there. Uh, and Mitch was, wrapping up Mr. Miracle. We're able to work at a, a decent pace now that doesn't kill us, but uh, we feel like we're getting things moving along at, at a good clip. That's good. The last thing you want to see anyone do is rush the work because it does show. Yeah. When people, and sometimes people have no choice. Like, I got to make this deadline. I got to make this deadline. Or the publisher says, hey, can you do this in three weeks? What? Okay. But <laughs> you want to do your best, you know, because you got that one shot to do your best and it's going to be out there, well, forever. So, <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, and that was a part of the big appeal for this book. For me, I certainly, and I, I think Mitch feels the same, uh, you know, it gives us enough space to do what we really want to do without feeling like we're compromising too much. Is there anything else later in 2020, early 2021 that you can discuss? Anything else that you want to do or that is in the works? For right now, I'm just focusing on Strange. I just did a pinup for the Flash 750, um, which was Great, and it was nice to take a very brief break from Strange. But uh, otherwise, my for the foreseeable future, I'm working on Strange. Uh, I think once that's done, we'll we'll talk. Certainly, I'll still be exclusive to DC for a good while. But uh, right now, it's just Strange. Right, so we'll have to wait for that Jonah Hex Zero crossover coming. That's okay. That's all right. <laughs> Sorry, you got time to think it through. Right. Talk to Jimmy. See what you guys can work out. Yeah. <laughs> So this is the part of the show where I ask my guests questions about themselves. I call it kicking back with the creator because I have no better name. When you're not busy working, what do you like to do for recreation? Lately, we've been playing a lot of video games. I'm not a huge gamer, um, but my son, my three-year-old, has just gotten into Mario big time. At three years old? Yeah. He's really into Mario. (laughs) It's all very simple. (laughs) doesn't take much at the moment, but uh, he's very into Mario. Ah, recreation. Well, what a concept. <laughs> I know. It's tough with kids. Like, when do you find time to recreate? <laughs> you do what they do, right? Well, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We just went sledding the other day, and I hadn't been sledding in years. My daughter and I threw ourselves all over that hill. I don't need to do anything physical for another couple months. You're going to feel that for a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's great. That's a wonderful memory that you'll have, sledding like that. I remember sledding when I was a kid. It just feels like we've never had... I don't now. We don't have any snow out here now, but I never felt like I had enough snow out east. You know, like if we get snow, like, yay, and then it would just either be, we'd be buried in snow or it'd be yep. a mushy snow. And it wasn't just a nice <laughs> packed, you know, it would last for a week. When I was a kid, there were no salt trucks. So, it, you know, you could sled for a while, but now it's like clear the roads and you just don't have a chance yeah. to really get out there and enjoy it. But speaking of childhood, what was 
your favorite birthday. It doesn't have to be a childhood birthday. It could be any birthday, but something that, you know, about that birthday just stands out in your mind. It's not that I didn't have nice birthdays or memorable birthdays. It's Nothing stands out to me in a huge way. I'm sure it was something with having friends over and, and watching movies and, and so forth, but I don't, I don't remember doing anything particularly crazy for a birthday. Were there any celebrations that you attended or maybe someone else's party or event that really just stands out? Huh, am I boring? No, no, no. I got other questions. Don't worry. Don't worry. No, that's all right. Some people... I'm just what, asking myself. Just some people, like, they remember things that they just forgot about, and they go, oh, holy cow, yeah, that's right. I remember this. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> I have a hypothetical situation I'd like to ask you about. If you were stuck on the old deserted island, and you had one book that you could read for pleasure, either something you love to read and could read again and again, or something you've been meaning to get to, and it can be... A book. Hmm. It can be a graphic novel. It can be a comic series or a collection of books. Something you would want to have with you on that island until you get off of there. I think my go-to for a long time of something that I've read and love enough to read again and again forever has always been New Frontier. That's long been a favorite and it's meaty enough to kind of dig into several times without getting bored of it. You know, it's something I, <laughs> I've had copies of Starman for a few years now, and I've, I've gotten maybe three or four issues in. <laughs> and I've been meaning forever to get back on and, and finish the run. It's just I never seem to have the time or the or I remember. That's something I'd like to dig into that I haven't yet, certainly. That was the series from the 90s, right? Yep. yep. Yeah. I read that when it came out. I never had a chance to go back and read it again. But there were those visits with his brother. That was like an annual thing. It came up. Yeah. Around. Those are always the great one-off stories. They were so good. Okay. Well, that's a good choice. Both of those are great choices. And, you know, I've got plenty of books that I love reading again and again. But New Frontier has always been my, my go-to. That's a good one. That's on my shelf. Everyone should have that one. That's one of those like Watchmen, New Frontier. Got to have that. Yeah. Now, another hypothetical situation, DC says, hey, we're going to make an action figure of you. What would be your accessory? Uh, Don't say a pencil. <laughs> no, no. Oh, that's not... <laughs> Some people do, and that's fine, but I'm trying to help you out here. <laughs> uh, my knee-jerk reaction is to say either my hat or my coffee mug. You could do a coffee mug with a hat on it. Yeah. <laughs> Either an image of a hat on the mug or a little cup topper that's a hat. Oh, you could market those. You could do yeah. that. Put your signature on the mug, hat on the top, and a little hole for a straw. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Speaking of drinks, what is your All beverage right. of choice? Well, I'm a beer guy, but I'm not very picky about my beer. You just want a cold. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when I go to conventions and stuff, what's my go-to? And it's usually either uh, I like a Moscow Mule. Very nice. Mitch got me into old fashioned which I like quite a bit now. That's great. I was just talking to someone about that a few weeks ago. My wife and I will make old fashions because she's very good at it. I like just drinking plain bourbon whiskey. I mean, I love beer, but the problem is it shows up on me. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, I love this stuff, but then you're like, oh, oh no, I got to get rid of the stomach. So I just kind of laid off of that and I have it on the weekends only as a treat. Mm -hmm. So I can still enjoy it because this is a fact of life. You got to be careful about that. But I like to having like a bourbon and she says, well, I'll make some old fashioned. So she got the bitters. She has a little bit of simple sugar syrup and just, it's great. I have the exact same thing where I do still like beer a lot, but I always feel it all the time. So I kicked it. Well, just because I wanted something that didn't make me feel like crap all the time. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's weird. I always felt better after having something like an old-fashioned or bourbon versus beer the next day. You know, I always felt yeah. a little more oh, fuzzy-headed. 
next day after a bourbon, I'm fine. I mean, I admit, I do still like the beers. When I do have one, I like tend to go uh, IPAs. Yep, me too. I really look at the bottles next. I'm like, okay, that's 9.5%. That's trouble. (laughs) 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 And I have to be a responsible parent. (laughs) I can't be walking into walls and stuff. (laughs) I found some out here in Las Vegas, and they're like, you know... uh, four percent and they taste like an ipa that's pretty cool i like those now (laughs) right yeah what still gets you excited and i'll give you two examples for me new comic book day i'm excited the other thing is certain holidays halloween my favorite i get super excited you know kind of like we were saying earlier on finding a new artist that really speaks to me is really exciting for me and it doesn't even have to be somebody quote-unquote new or new on the scene I'll go through these things or somebody will recommend an artist to me and it's an older artist who's long since passed. And I'll know at the time that I don't have the headspace to get into that creator. And my go-to is Frank Robbins. Mike Cho years ago was like, you should check out Frank Robbins. You'll love Frank Robbins. And I was like, oh, okay. And I kind of put it on the mental list of somebody to check out. And it wasn't until a couple of years later that I saw his work again. And it just, it was like getting struck by lightning. So it doesn't have to be somebody new but discovering somebody's work that's new to me gets me really excited about what I'm doing and comics in general. But creatively speaking, that's the thing that really gets you stuff. Yeah. As you get older, your life changes, uh, your taste changes. And some things that didn't appeal to you when you were younger, maybe certain art styles, now you're like, wow, this is great. I know what you mean. You kind of look at it with fresh eyes. It gets new to you. Exactly. What gets my wife excited is when she walks into the bedroom at 7 p.m. and she goes, the kids asleep. I'm like, what? Already? <laughs> That's exciting. That means a quiet evening. <laughs> that is yeah, exciting on your parent. <laughs> I, I can get on board with that too, yeah. <laughs> now, related to kids, and this doesn't have to be about kids, what keeps you awake at night? Now, sometimes the kids do. <laughs> See how these are all right. like flowing into each other? But sometimes they do, like they come in. But sometimes there's something on my mind, or I'm really excited about something. I'm working on, I'm like, oh, what would I do? And I can't stop thinking. And that keeps me up at night. Some people worry about the next job. You're a DC exclusive. You are not worried, sir. What kind of keeps you up at night? Not to get political, kind of just the current state of everything is a little anxiety inducing. And I, I don't know that it's something I worry about necessarily on a regular basis, but it is something I think about a lot. And I think it does take up a massive amount of mental space if you let it. It does. It can really get you down. If I say, hey, you know what happened today? And I'll, I'll tell my wife. She goes, I don't want to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> Are you surprised? No. No, but yes. I said, I know. Can you believe right, it? Yeah. Yes. And it's just that kind of thing. And it's one of those situations. And I, I mentioned this in the show before. People aren't talking to each other. They're talking past each other. They're like, I have this point. I have this point. And no one's budging. And they just yeah. dig in. And we're not getting anywhere. That kind of attitude, you know, you got to try to find some common ground. I realize in some cases it's really hard with some people. It kind of worries me about where are we headed? Where are we going? Just some of the practices and ways of conducting ourselves. You think that it was, oh, that election season, it was really nasty. And then the next one, it gets even worse. Like, remember the good old days when it was nasty, but it wasn't that nasty? So that's why we watch cartoons and animation and play video games. <laughs> we have enough of that crap. <laughs> right. Right. I try to... At least stay somewhat self-aware of like, how much am I venting right now just because of everything going on? Now, these questions are a little deeper. Can you think of a book that you read that changed the way you thought 
could be an art book. It could be just a book about anything. It could be a fiction book. It could be a philosophy book. Something that just said, ooh, hey, I never looked at something that way before. And it just kind of changed your whole perspective on things. For me, it was Eastern philosophy, the Buddhist writings and some of that stuff about meditation. That was just life-changing. It really is. Because my wife says, you know, you're a lot nicer when you meditate. <laughs> you're a lot mellower when you have that five, ten minutes. I said, yeah, I know. I feel it too. I kind of get my act together. If I don't get that five, ten minutes... I wound up tight. That's been a big thing for my wife and I the last few years is really kind of getting into the uh, just yeah mental well being. That's been huge for us, especially with younger kids. What is a book? The thing that's killing me is I know I have a couple and I'm blanking on them so hard right now. You can always tweet it out when this goes out. Hey, I thought of a book because <laughs> a lot of people tweet whatever they think. So go right ahead. <laughs> that's fairly safe too. I know. People say to me, what's your favorite? I'm like, ah, oh, I got so many. And what's that guy's name? I can't think of the writer, you know? So that's why I just blanket statement. People that explore Eastern philosophies from a Western perspective to help me understand because it's a whole different way of thinking. And if someone in their books is kind of like a guide, you know, this is for the uninitiated. That really is very helpful. So, uh, and I can't think of the guy's name right now, which is terrible, <laughs> which is why I'm talking in circles. <laughs> I'll blurt it out sometime during the show. I'm sure. Sure. Uh, next question. And this again has to do with major moments. Can you think of a, big turning point in your life you can look back at it and say yep that moment that was big that changed the direction i was going related to comics when i was real little i loved drawing and i loved the comics in my head i knew i was going to be a cartoonist <laughs> i read charles schultz's biography uh when i was a kid and i read a part about how he used to write down i will be a cartoonist a professional cartoonist someday and he would write that down 10 or 15 times a day i was maybe eight or nine, and I was doing that on the back of journals and notebooks and stuff. I was completely committed to the idea of being a cartoonist. And then I discovered music in middle school. My entire family are music teachers or musicians in some fashion. And I got really into music, and then that was what I was going to do. I, you know, I was convinced I would be a musician. And then in high school, I rediscovered comics through superheroes. At the time, I just thought it was, oh, this is a neat hobby that I'll pick back up again and get kind of interested in. I think, you know, the, the idea of it slowly grew on me and grew on me until I got to my first week in college with the notion of being a musician. And I realized that first week there that I was not going to be a musician. I still loved music, but the idea of doing it for a living didn't appeal to me anymore. And I definitely couldn't have put it in words then, but I think somewhere in the back of my head, I knew. I wanted to work in comics. It was in high school, and I, I don't know that I always see that direct line from A to B, but I know that getting back into it in high school was the turning point for me. And you know it's still art. It's a different form, but you're still being artistic and creative. That was the thing. We always, like, I knew from very early on, no matter what I end up doing, it's going to be in the arts. That's clearly where my brain lives. I, I can't imagine doing something not in the arts. And just to blurt out, I finally <laughs> remember Alan Watts. That's the guy, the writer. Okay. Philosopher. There you go. Highly recommended. He was uh, one of the first guys back in the 60s to bring that Eastern philosophy to the West. My final question, what do you wish you knew when you were younger that you know now that you would say, Evan, don't worry. This is all going to work out because 
You know, there's certain things I wish I knew, like let this go, don't worry about it. Easy to say when you're at a certain stage in your life, but there are certain things I wish I had handled differently. And I would tell myself, don't do that. Anything <laughs> that you wish you knew back then that you know now. For a lot of people, it's about being able to go back to that younger person and say, this thing you're worrying about now, don't worry so much about it. Whether it's relationships or grades in high school or what have you, there's definitely parts of my own life that I wish I could go back and go like in the grand scheme of things you're going to see this is such not a big deal but at the same time you know I I know more than anything that those things shaped me and who I am now so I don't even know that I would go back and say don't put the value into this that you're going to you mess up the time stream (laughs) (laughs) it's tricky I wish I hadn't spent so much time dwelling on things that ultimately would not be that important but it's shape who I am now. I think maybe I just try to keep that in mind going forward. I think part of it too is just having perspective because when you're younger, you're dealing with maybe like 10, 20 year history. And then as you go on, you know, you have more life experience. So things that seem like they were a very big part of your life, well, now they're a very small percentage of your life. So they don't seem yeah. as big, you know, and you're there and you only have 10 years, like you're 10 years old. It's like, oh my gosh. Remember when you were a kid, a year of school seemed like forever, like a month seemed like forever. Right. You know, I mean, like I would read six issue run back in the seventies. That was, oh my God, that was a huge part of my life at that point. Now mm-hmm. it's like, oh, it's over already. So yeah, it's kind of weird how that perspective changes. I think that has something to do with it as far as not seeing those things as so big because you have all this history to look back and go, yeah, that's kind of small. Exactly. Well, it's been a pleasure. I've had a really good time. Enjoy your trip to C2E2. Looking forward to seeing strange adventures. Evan, thanks so much for being on Creator Talks. Well, thank you, Chris. This has been great. And thank you for listening to this interview. Now, here's what I have coming up for the 200th anniversary episode of Creator Talks. It's a very special one. It's something I had planned for a while, and I had no idea of the significance of it when I recorded this back in January. My guest that I talked to back in January was Nick Cuddy. Nick just passed away last Friday, February 21st, 2020, after battling cancer. I had no idea that he was battling cancer. I don't know for sure, but this may be the last interview that he ever did. And he was super nice and gave a lot of great advice, spoke about the people that he worked with over the years, what he was really proud of, and just seemed very happy with his place in life and everything that he had accomplished. And listening back to that conversation, it means so much more now, knowing what he was going through at the time. This past weekend on my Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter accounts at Creator Talks Pod, that's at Creator Talks Pod, I did post some of his most well-known works, including E-Man through Charlton Comics, Spanner's Galaxy through DC Comics, And he also did a lot of work for Warren magazines such as Creepy, Eerie, and Vampirella. And we talk about his very first work that got him into the business. We also talk about those years at Charlton, later his animation work, and we also talked about what he had planned for the future. He was always looking ahead. So please join me next week for this very special 200th episode of Creator Talks. Until then, you can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Creator Talks Pod. That's at Creator Talks Pod. Or reach out to me directly at creatortalks at gmail.com. That's creatortalks at gmail.com. And again, just a quick reminder to subscribe. And if you haven't had a chance yet, please rate and review on iTunes. 
All right, folks, that's all I have for this week. Enjoy your comics and follow your passion. For Creator Talks, this has been your host, Christopher Calloway. Until next time. Mm-hmm.